Hello everyone, I'm Bob Main. Welcome to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. Episode 548 to be exact on Sunday, April 25th. 2021 the handgun world podcast is brought to you by keepers concealment the leading authority on appendix holsters appendix training and high performance handgun training specializing in concealed carry and as you learned last week when you listened to the episode with spencer keepers uh, they are also a proud affiliate of ccw safe ccw safe is the only true legal service company that is a hundred percent proven i am going to be in june becoming a member of ccw safe legal protection you have to have it folks um i'm going to do an episode soon on what the aftermath could be like if you have to use your handgun in self-defense and it's not going to be pretty good not going to be very good at all and that's why ccw safe is so important so you can find all this at keepersconcealment.com keepersconcealment.com there is a kc10 off coupon code at ccw safe you can save some money kc10 off this will all be in the show notes and also on keepersconcealment.com so this week i am going to talk about range observations it's something I, I used to talk about a lot. I kind of used to give range reports. And I do range reports a little bit differently. I observe and I look to see what other shooters are shooting, how they're doing with them, and what's working, what's not working, and also my own equipment that I shoot and, uh, and carry and what's working and what's not working. So let me get started right into that. So I was competing yesterday. I was at a competition match. Uh, I like to do it a couple of times every month. And I was watching some, first of all, a new shooter, uh, or at least new to competition shooting. And he was very good. And, you know, I love to see new shooters come out. Welcome all new shooters. All of you who are listening to this, if you're an experienced shooter, you, you've got some good experience you're well accomplished you know what you're doing you've been doing it a while taking some training and things please don't look down at new shooters when they come out to a competition match or when they come to a training class please don't look down to them one of the things that really stood out to me that i really remembered when i first started doing this back in 2005 i remember how courteous and nice and professional that all the experienced people were at the shooting range. And I'm talking about a competition match. And also when I took my first class, when I took my very first training class, I was a relatively new shooter. It was a class taught by one of the Suarez International instructors, Glenn Matthews. And it was just, it was great how accommodating he was, knowing that I was all I knew was competition at that point. I didn't know much about defensive handgun skills. So what's really cool about this industry is there are a lot of friendly people. We're not a bunch of nutbags and a bunch of um, extremists like the anti-gun people like to make us out to be. We're just not that, are we? 
So at the first opportunity you get, take somebody shooting who's a new shooter uh, or a new gun, new gun owner. Take them out, help them learn how to use it, have fun with it. The most important thing, by the way, when you take new shooters out to the range is help them have fun. And let me tell you what's not fun to a new shooter. Don't be constantly giving them advice and instructions every five minutes. Uh, sometimes you overwhelm them. I, I see this all the time, and it's amazing. I see, I see people just overwhelming and giving way too many instructions to new shooters. Make sure that they're safe, of course. If there's safety violations, if there's problems with that, definitely. Then I'm all about that. I'm all about extreme safety when it comes to firearms. Other than that, once you know that they're safe, just let them shoot. Let them have fun. Let them experience exactly how fun it is. Don't be up their rear end all the time about, do this, do that, grip it this way, grip it that way. Do this with the trigger. Do this with the sights. Blah, 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 blah. Save all that stuff for when they decide to take a class. Let them have fun. They need to experience how fun it is shooting and that that's what's going to pull them in i think more than anything else would you agree with me on that just food for thought so it was good that on my squad where i was shooting we had a we had a new shooter or at least new to the competition sports uh some observations people a lot of people using red dots as spencer keepers and i talked about last week if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode that was a great interview. It's one of the most positively reviewed interviews that I've received on my podcast in the last year or so. We talked about the red dot life, but red dots have a learning curve. They seriously do. And I saw some people that were pretty good shooters actually struggling with red dots because they're kind of new to red dots. So be prepared. I'm going to be transitioning to a red dot pistol pretty soon, but I know that there's going to be a big learning curve. Uh, what I'm trying to figure out right now is which, which red dot pistol and which red dot. Once I make that decision, then I'm going to go full speed ahead, and I'm going to accept that there's going to be a learning curve. I'm going to accept it might take me a year to get as proficient with that red dot. A year of consistent practice and training it that's just the way it is so most people don't just pick up shooting a red dot right away on a handgun it's completely different than shooting a, a red dot on a rifle completely different it's it's like a whole different ball game when you have a red dot on a handgun than it is versus a rifle so I'm gonna prepare myself I saw some people struggling with that a lot of people think that red dots automatically make you shoot better and although I'm a fan of red dots and I really enjoyed what Spencer had to say last week and as you know he's a new sponsor of this show I am going to say that there's definitely a huge learning curve that you need to be prepared for uh, Google search some of Carl Wren's research and findings on red dots Carl Wren of KR training uh, if you remember about a year and a half ago Carl was a guest host on this 
podcast for uh, a few weeks while I was out. I've taken several of Carl's classes. He's taught at the Range Master Tactical Conference, and so has Spencer Keepers, taught at the Range Master Tactical Conference, and I've had a chance to uh, attend Carl's classes there as well, as well as his in-person shooting instruction. And Carl will tell you, and he's seen, oh man, how many students has he seen? Uh, you know, maybe I'll email Carl or Carl, hey, if you're listening to this, tell us how many students you've taught over the years. It's it's unbelievable. And he says that a lot of people struggle with red dots at first. So there is training and practice that you've got to commit to if you want to be proficient with it. I'm ready to commit to that again. So that was one observation. Another observation that I saw, and, and, and I experienced it myself, it seems like unless you are like at a master class or grandmaster class level, it seems like the barrel length and sight radius does not make a whole lot of difference. As long as you're within that medium to duty length barrel. I mean, for example, Glock 34 versus a Glock 17 size gun. Most shooters, when I watch them and pay close attention, it seems like it doesn't really matter which one of those they have. Or is it a full-size M&P or is it a compact M&P? Full-size H&K, compact H&K. Is it a full-size 1911 or is it a commander-size 1911? They, it doesn't seem to matter too much. In fact, some people, like me, can shoot the compact 4-inch barrel-sized Glock 19-sized guns. I can shoot those better most of the time than I can the long slide guns. And I'm not quite sure why. It's an interesting phenomenon. So maybe, maybe barrel length really doesn't matter too much. Maybe sight radius. We know that it matters to especially probably to newer shooters but I tell you what you take a you take a compact size gun especially the guns that are made today the incredibly high quality guns that are made today by all the major manufacturers you take a compact or a subcompact and you put it in the hands of a good well-trained accomplished shooter and he or she are they're going to be able to do some pretty good things with that handgun. And I will say that I have seen them take the compact and subcompact handguns and outshoot people with a full-size duty gun. Folks, it's all about the training and the practice that you have. I'm so convinced of that. You know, and I'll give you an example. My SIG P365XL, that thing shoots. I can shoot it as well as I can shoot my Glock 19, for example. Now, I cannot shoot it as fast as I can my G19. I've noticed that. I can shoot the P365 as accurate as I can shoot the Glock 19, but it's not as fast for me. Maybe that's just because I've spent so much time shooting the Glock. That is one thing I noticed. Smith & Wesson Shield, that's another example. I can't shoot that like I can shoot a M&P 2.0 Compact. It's a nice shooting gun, but I just can't. Now the Glock 48, now that's a that's one that is 
I can shoot that as well as the Glock 19, no problem, because it basically is, it's the same gun. It's just a newer version, slimmed down, slightly lighter weight uh, Glock 19, pretty much. Especially with the Shield S15 round magazines, Shield Arms magazines. So, sight radius, although it's important, in my observations, again, now I may get a lot of argument and pushback on this one, but in my observations and my experience, it seems to me like maybe that is has been a little bit overblown over the years as to how important it is. And I've talked about this a few weeks ago. I've talked about the concept of leverage how the gun is balanced, how much leverage I have when I when I grab the grip with my stronger hand and then I and then I bring my support hand into the into the picture and I present that gun and then when I press that trigger and I send a round down range and that gun begins to recoil to me I got a little bit more leverage to get back on target with a slightly shorter barreled gun. It's interesting because I've, I've shot a Glock 34 a lot and I've shot a Glock 19 a lot and I've shot a Glock 17 a lot and I don't see a whole lot of difference in my shooting and I've seen this on the range since this episode's about range observations I've seen it on the range too. I've seen people shoot longer guns and shorter guns side by side and unless they're past 15 yards I don't see a whole lot of difference but like I said master class level shooters expert level shooters people that have hundreds of hours of training under their belt okay those types of shooters they're gonna probably see a significant difference with a long barreled gun but I really like I just I, I absolutely am a big fan of the compact size pistols I'm not a huge fan of the subcompacts, except for a couple of guns, but the compact pistols, the pistols that are the the size of like a uh, a Glock 48, for example. I'm not saying specifically a Glock 48. I'm saying in that size range. You know that is for concealed carry is what I'm talking about and also just for range and training use I, and I'll give you another example the SIG P320 X compact what a really cool gun that is and it's it's like a Glock 19 small enough to carry big enough to be a, a range gun and I can get great leverage using that gun when I'm shooting it I borrowed that gun I borrowed that gun from a friend for a whole month and if you remember I did a review on it It had a Wilson combat grip module which made a world of difference and that thing I could just shoot that gun like a house on fire because because it just it balanced so well and especially while I was shooting it it was so controllable and that's considered a, a compact by even by its name SIG P320X Compact. So I'm really a, a fan of those, those kinds of guns. If you can conceal them well. If not, then something like a P365XL, a Shield Plus, 
that's that's your gun if you really need to have deep concealment or the Glock 43X or even the regular Glock 43 guns like that the small Rugers those are excellent deep concealment guns now I want to take a moment to let you know that concealment solutions holsters is also one of my sponsors and they have been for years and I just absolutely love their outside the waistband holsters even their inside the waistband hybrid holsters check them out concealmentsolutions.com you get a 10% discount code which is handgun world when you check out that's the discount code and I'm doing a class up in their neck of the woods June 12th I'm going to Utah I'm going to teach one day beyond concealed carry please join me for that you can find it at handgunworld.com once again handgunworld.com and concealment solutions is not only the host of the class but uh, Jason will be helping out with the class as well so another range observation that I made make sure that your gear works and I'm specifically talking about your gun and your holsters and your magazines boy I see a lot of frustrated shooters not just at, at competition but also I've seen them in training classes or even when I just go to the square range which I do sometimes just when I'm testing things I see a lot of frustrated people that are using products that are not working they're not running the guns aren't running and I'll tell you what is the biggest what it seems to me it's just my personal opinion looking at it and seeing and watching for 16 years now the guns that don't run seem to be those that are over modified or the ammo is not good that seems to be the two biggest reasons they're over modified and what I mean by that is the modifications have severely altered the basic design of the gun or substandard quality parts are used in the modifications or the ammo is just not very good uh, maybe maybe the reloads and there's some errors made in the reloading process maybe it's just cheap dirty terrible ammo although some guns are they do very well with the cheap dirty terrible ammo that <laughs> right now costs 55 cents a round you know but if you can if you can leave your gun as close to stock as possible I think you're going to maximize your reliability chances and reliability is absolutely the most important thing now if you want to modify you guys know I've talked about modifications I've talked about my Glock 19 modifications and things like that so I think modifications are okay as long as they're done right as long as they are you know done with quality parts and you don't just change the design too much of the entire gun I mean sometimes when you start using different slides and different shaped trigger parts and things like that and different types of extractors and different this and that 
I've seen people that completely rebuild a gun. They buy it in stock configuration and it's almost like a completely rebuilt gun. Well, you've drifted so far from what the manufacturer intended that I think, personally, it could induce malfunctions. And I may get a lot of arguments on this. That's okay. I'm open to that. Give me some of your arguments if you have some differing opinions. How about calling in and leaving me a voicemail message? 210-646-1727. 210-646-1727. Or send me an email. Handgunworld at gmail.com. Put a post on Facebook. Uh, every time I do one of these podcasts, I post it on Facebook or Twitter or MeWe or Parlor. Give me a social media feedback. How about an iTunes review? Those of you that use Apple Podcasts to listen to this, go over there and uh, leave me a review. Not just a rating. I would love to get those five-star ratings, but how about writing a review as well? And even if you want to mention a specific topic, that would be great. But it seems like over-modifying and then there's the ammo issue. That's what seems to be causing most of the frustration. At least that's what I've seen lately. That's what I've seen lately. And it's really the most frustrating thing when your gun doesn't work. And I've experienced it. I've experienced it more times than I like to admit. And I've normally been able to trace it back to the two primary reasons that I just mentioned. So I've been seeing a lot of that and hopefully uh, I'll see less of that. Another range observation that I've seen. This happened recently in a class I taught with Ben Branham uh, late last year. People bringing substandard holsters or belts to a training class, sometimes they do it. I've seen them do it to, at competition matches as well. There are a lot of great holsters on the market at reasonable prices. And I have two sponsors at Concealment Solutions and Keepers Concealment that are some of the best in the industry and they really don't cost too much. I've always wondered why somebody spends $700 on a gun and $26.95 on a holster. That always kind of puzzled me. And then they spent $15.95 on a belt. Uh, you just normally cannot get a good quality holster for $26.95. And you can't get a good quality shooting belt for $15.95. You, you get my point? You know, people buy a really nice gun. Wow. They buy a gun that's really nice. I'd like to have. And then they're frustrated again because they got a very substandard holster and a substandard belt. And this is very important for concealed carry. For concealed carry, you know, there's three parts to your system, in my opinion. The first part is the gun. The second part is the holster. And the third part is the belt. And they're all working together. And you have to have all three that are high quality and that work for their intended purpose. 
Uh, it's amazing how many times I have actually had to lend somebody a holster and one time lend somebody a belt. And this is also one of the reasons why it's good to see if, if people come to a class, you know, I can lend them holsters if they have a Glock or an M&P or a SIG. Because I have a lot of Glock, M&P, and SIG holsters. And I can also lend them magazines sometimes for those guns. So if you're going to go all out on your budget and you're going to get a nice expensive gun, it doesn't it cost too much more to get a good quality holster and a good quality belt. That's a range observation. It just causes frustration for the students. And what happens is when people have equipment that doesn't work and doesn't run, they get to the point of frustration where they don't learn much. And they're spending time and money on the class or the competition match. And they're not getting much out of it. Remember, earlier in this episode, I said it has to be fun. Especially with new shooters. It has to be fun. Fun is the most important factor when it comes to shooting folks. Uh, you know what? Fun opens up the learning experience. Think about that. Fun opens up the learning experience. Okay, another range observation I've made over the years. Friends trying to outdo each other. I see this all the time, especially at public ranges. You know, where I call them square ranges because it seems like you're shooting in a square or rectangular box when you're standing there. But public shooting ranges, you know, friends go there and they're trying to outdo each other. And they're trying to compare themselves to each other. It's a natural thing to do. It's a, it's a human thing to do, but it's something that, that seems to throw people off of what they're there to do. It makes it more difficult for them to have fun because when their friend outdoes them or outshoots them, then they get frustrated. They want to try to do the same thing. I've actually seen people become unsafe because they wanted to try to do what their more experienced friend could do, but they're a new shooter and they couldn't do it as well as their experienced friend. Just worry about yourself. Only yourself. Just every time you put a magazine, if you're using a semi-automatic pistol, every time you put a magazine in there, try to shoot better than you did with the previous magazine. If you're using a revolver, Try to shoot better than the last cylinder full of ammo and just try to improve you and improve every step just for yourself. You know, I'd like it if you, if you're a new shooter, by the way, and there are a lot of new gun owners, so I'm going to speak to the new gun owners today. I think there's been something like 30 or 40 million guns is what I heard recently. Maybe my number is off, but... I think we've had a record gun sales for the first three months of any year, or at least it's been the most in a long time. I think it actually is in the United States. It's a record for like January, February, March, the first quarter of 2021. So there are a lot of new gun owners out there. Just, just compete against yourself at first. And I mentioned earlier in this episode, people trying to give so much advice. Just, you know, at first, just try to have fun with it. Take some of the advice. But if you've got a friend or relative or even an instructor that's going overboard on the instructions, 
If you're if you're being safe and you're not doing anything that gets you kicked off the range, just have fun. And just try to improve with each magazine of ammo. That's the best way I can put it. Try to improve with each magazine or each cylinder of ammo. Now, the last range observation I want to talk about, I mentioned a couple of episodes ago when I talked about handgun fit and feel. But it's something I want to revisit just for a short time in this episode. Well, and I also want to talk about looks, okay? In fact, let me talk about that first. Let me talk about looks first. Who cares what a gun looks like, right? Who really cares? You know, it's it's not a fashion contest. It's about what gun is going to work for you and what gun is going to work, period. What What gun is going to run and shoot the way you want it to shoot, regardless of how the gun looks or the color of it for you new gun owners or somebody who's thinking about becoming a new gun owner and you're listening to me right now when you go to the gun store don't worry about what color it is don't worry about what brand it is really don't even worry too much about how it looks worry about is it going to fit your needs Is it something that you're going to be able to carry? Is it something that you can shoot? Hopefully you went to a gun store or a range that has guns you can rent. Okay? Not at a gun store. Gun stores don't have guns that you can rent. But gun ranges do. And hopefully you went to a range and you rented more than one of their guns. Hopefully you rented three or four or five. And you've had a chance to shoot them. And if you don't buy it at the range where you're shooting and you buy it elsewhere, at least you've got an idea. And don't worry, just because some friend of yours says, well, this gun looks a heck of a lot better or this gun is brand X and it's better than brand Y or Z. Don't worry about that. Because I've seen people that show up with guns that don't fit them and they have a gun that that doesn't fit them, it doesn't work for them because... They like the looks of it or a friend or relative recommended it to them. I gave some very honest advice to a family friend that called me a couple months ago. Actually, a a friend of one of my family members. And this is what he said to me. I'm going to almost repeat this word for word. He said, hey, Bob, I'm looking to get a gun for my wife. And he said, I'm looking at brand X, which is a revolver, and I'm looking at brand Y, which is a semi-automatic. What do you think I should get? And you know me. The first thing that popped into my mind, I didn't say this, but the first thing that popped into my mind is, why are you buying a gun for your wife? You need to let your wife buy the gun. Not you. Don't buy it for her. Let her buy the gun. Go shopping with her, but let her decide on the gun. But I didn't say that. I didn't say that because I didn't want to offend him. So I gave him the best advice that I could give. And he told me, he said, my wife is, you know, not, she doesn't have a lot of strength. She's kind of a meek 
woman that, you know, doesn't really have a lot of strength, doesn't even really care for guns all that much, but knows that she needs one. And I don't want to start, you know, I don't want to get into a brand argument or what kind of an argument or anything like that. I did recommend the semi-automatic, and I did recommend a semi-automatic that was pretty easy to use. And by the way, for those of you who know me, no, I didn't recommend a Glock 19. How's that? <laughs> you might be saying, oh, Bob, you're such a Glock 19 lover, which, again, I'm not a brand lover. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fanboy. I'm not saying Glock's the best brand. I'm just saying that a Glock 19 has been the gun for me for 14 years that has worked the best for me. But I didn't recommend that because I took some of the... Um, took in some of the information that he told me about his wife and since he insisted that he had to buy the gun I recommended uh, another brand a relatively newer gun that's on the market that's very easy to use and I got some feedback a few weeks ago that she totally loves it she loves the gun and she has fun shooting it and there was that great word fun she has fun shooting it and it was awesome so anyway it was good to hear that and it's just been my observations over years of watching people make mistakes and me making mistakes see the most important thing I want to tell you is I've made a lot of these mistakes and I want you to learn from some that I've made so she loves the gun she has fun shooting it, and it was a great decision, is what he said. And of course, because I am a professional salesperson, I have been now since 1985. Wow, it's unbelievable. It's so because I'm a pro. Uh, what I did was I made it seem like it was his decision, not mine. I just, you know, gave him a little bit of, a, of advice. Or, and in fact, I don't even like to use the word advice. I just gave him some things to think about. And of course, it was his decision what to get for his wife. It wasn't my decision. So he's the hero. And all I was was just somebody that, you know, kind of took an attitude like, hey, well, you know, you might want to think about this and you might want to think about that and make your own decision. All right. So that's. But please, please, uh, gentlemen, if, if your wife wishes to own a handgun, let her buy it. And let her make the decision. And please try. Here's another range observation. Please try guns before you buy them. Go to the range. Rent them shoot them spend the money i know i know ammo is expensive right now and i know that the range might charge you 45 bucks for a box of ammo or maybe even more but do it spend the money go there rent the gun pay the 15 dollars or whatever it is that they charge you to rent the gun pay the 45 or 50 dollars for the box of ammo and go shoot those 50 rounds through the handgun before you decide to buy it Try not to buy firearms, firearms sight unseen or un, unused by you, okay? Let's put it that way. Try not to buy them unused 
by you. So this pretty much wraps up my topic for this week, my range observations. Do you have any range observations that you would like to share? I'd like to hear them. 210-646-1727 is the voicemail, handgunworld at gmail.com. Or if you just want to record something, an audio recording, and you want me to play it on this show, I'll do that too. And I'd like to hear about it. What are your range observations that you would like to share with people? Folks, thanks for tuning in. You've just listened to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. By the way, if you want to support this show, you can sign up for the Shooters Club. It's a great video instruction that I've put together with Ben Branham. You can shop on my uh, Handgun World Amazon store. You can take care of one of my sponsors by investing in the products that they offer. And you can become a Patreon. So all of those you can find at handgunworld.com. So remember, shoot straight, shoot safe, read your Bible every day. And I'll talk to you next week. Good.